Well, welcome to the Coffee House Questions Podcast. This is Ryan Pauly, and uh, I have something special today. Joining me is Jay Warner Wallace. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he is uh, the cold case homicide detective, national speaker, adjunct professor at Biola, and one of the faculty members here at Summit Ministries. And so, uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, I'm glad, really glad to be here. Summit, isn't Summit a great place? I, I was so surprised to see that you were a part of that now here at Biola yesterday. It was just awesome to see you. And I thought, wow, I guess all of us who do this work understand the and why we need to train them and get them ready. And, and Summit's a great place to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when I heard about Summit and uh, knowing that I'm a teacher, I have my summers off, I said, yeah, I have to get involved there in just what they're doing. And it's just amazing having 213 students here at California and just the impact that they have all across the country in Colorado and Tennessee as well. So I know yeah, I always wonder, you know, if we could somehow trace them and I think we need to do a better job of doing that. But how many years now has some have been turning out students who come out of that program and they'll tell you that they feel like they've been forever changed and uh, solidified in their Christian worldview. And then I always wonder, well, I'll bet you they're doing some amazing things all over the country. We just don't even know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. But I bet you if we were to go back and look, you know, it's kind of like if you looked at Francis Schaeffer's involvement and, and, and LaBrie and, and how he like, impacted an entire generation of thinkers who ultimately, like Nancy Piercy, for example, all of these folks who have spent some time with Schaeffer, I wonder, wow, what, what are we going to hear a generation from now about young people who spent time at Summit? Yeah. Well, and even this morning, Dr. Jeff Myers, the president of Summit Ministries, came to speak here in California. And Sean McDowell did the introduction and said, hey, I, you know, back in 1994, I was sitting in Summit Ministries listening to you, Dr. Jeff Myers, speak. You know, now, right. you know, Sean McDowell has his doctorate in apologetics and is, you know, one of the top, you know, youth apologetic speakers in the country. And so even, you know, there's a huge example of, of just the impact that Summit's able to have. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Awesome. Well, I know I've mentioned this, I, I think, to you, and but I don't know how many people listening know, uh, but Coffee House Questions started because of your encouragement, Jim. And, well, I'm glad uh, to hear that. And just you uh, writing a lot about how Christians just need to get out there and blog and start sharing information. And so I thought, you know, I think I could do this. And so I started the blogging. And I think you got on me two or three times uh, that I wasn't posting frequently enough because it was a little sporadic there at the beginning. <laughs> but and now you're you're doing great, and I, I repost your stuff on on social media all the time. I feel like you've just really kind of uh, blossomed and grown as a. You know, I always say that we have to stop being merely uh, con, you know content consumers, which is easy to do when you have this internet out there, right? And we're all Christians who are interested in the evidence or interested in why we should make a case for what we believe, and so it's not it doesn't take long for us to kind of surf through and. We're constantly consuming information, reading articles, but at some point, you know, like all of us, it, it, you know, it, it, as, as you mature as a Christian, there's probably a point at which you're being taught less and find yourself teaching more. And and that's kind of the truth for us as apologists. At some point, you have to transition from content consumer to content creator. Yeah. And all of us can do this because there's there's always somebody who knows less than us. And we can take the people who know more than us and, and translate back down for the people who know less than us. And if we do that, I think we'll, we'll begin to kind of uh, take back some ground uh, on the Internet for sure. 
Absolutely. And so, yeah, and so it's just exciting having you on this podcast since it was in January that then you encouraged me to uh, start the podcast. And so I ran with it. And so it's it's great having you on as one of my uh, first few uh, guest interviews. So I just uh, appreciate that. And I just want to thank you. Yeah, no, really glad to be here. And you're doing great work. So people who uh, maybe catch this podcast, I don't even know that Ryan's got the blog that he's posting at regularly. It's important to go back and and I think we need to be very balanced in how we consume uh, this information, right? So, I mean, I, I think it's great that we have videos and audio podcasts. And it's amazing to me how much of your attitude about life is determined by what you consume, what you're thinking about, what you're watching, what you're listening to. And I find myself, whenever I'm struggling with sin, you know, just my sin nature, my fallen nature, you know, I, I have to... I start to recontrol uh, and rededicate myself to the kind of music I'm listening to or the kinds of podcasts I'm listening to because I'm listening to something. And uh, so that's why if, if you've got somebody who's creating audio and writing uh, blogs, to make sure that we, you know, you need to do both, read and listen. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, I kind of want to jump in this this with you, not take up too much of your time uh, today. Okay. Um, but I know that you have a very kind of a unique approach to um, working with students. And uh, one thing that you uh, said in one of your posts uh, that I've been reading is you said the church needs to stop teaching students about their faith. It's time to stop teaching students and start training them. There's a difference between teaching and training. And, and I kind of want to go over that a little bit, but could you kind of start off and how did you kind of come to that conclusion? And, you know, what's the difference between teaching and training? Well, a lot of it for me was just my experience as a police officer and then as a youth pastor. So. You know, officers train, and, and first responders generally train, and the reason why we train, and we also we train so often and so consistently, and we're required to do that even by our post-certification here in California. So, so we're constantly training, and if you think about it, we're training for scenarios that probably, that many times won't even happen. So we train for those, you know, 1% events knowing that the next shift we work, we'll probably want to encounter that. And it might be a year or maybe your entire career before you'll ever have to do this thing that you train for every month. And, well, why are you training? Because you don't know if it's the next shift that you're going to have to actually do it. And the fact that you know that the next shift you might put into practice, something that you're trying to master right now, uh, raises the bar on, on the amount of attention you're going to pay and so we're always doing training in several categories, right? You know, training in terms of what the law is, training physically so we can respond uh, in a fight situation or to save somebody. We're training with our weapons. We're training in a number of different categories because we really believe that we might have to use this in the next shift we work. And even during the training, there's always a chalkboard component and then there is a get on the mat component. And you pay attention to the chalkboard training, even if it's like, it's like driver's instruction, where they're showing you when to accelerate through a, through a turn or how to you know, do this crazy maneuver. Um, and, and you're paying attention at the chalkboard because in a half an hour, you're going to be out there in your car on the track having to do what you just learned on the chalkboard. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between teaching and training. Uh, training is just, is just teaching with a calendared, scheduled test that makes the teaching real, in which you're going to have to put up or shut up. And, and you're going to do that in, you know, in law enforcement. You're going to do that in front of all of your buddies, all of your coworkers, who are going to see what a you are or what a lame wrestler you are if you're not paying attention. And that kind of pressure 
is really the key component. So what I've tried to do when I got to be a youth pastor is I realized that I can teach theology on Sundays and and I can teach apologetics on Sundays and I can teach the Christian life and behavior and, and how we think about how we ought to live on Sundays. But to be honest, it all starts to sound like blah, 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 blah to students unless you calendar an event that forces them to put that teaching into practice. And that's the difference between teaching and training. Yeah. And yeah, and so that's one of the kind of the first um, points that you have. So you've taken this this idea of training students and kind of made an acronym out of it, train. And right. so the, the first, the T in train is test, and you say to challenge students to expose their weaknesses. And you kind of said a little bit about, you know, that I, the reason for the test. How do you test students uh, when you're training them in theology and apologetics? Well, I know you, you probably, uh, there at Summit, you'll see that uh, Sean will occasionally role play as one of his sessions, and I we started doing that. Sean actually watched us do that with his group, and he saw the value in it because we took his group to um, Berkeley and to Salt Lake City, and uh, he had never been on that kind of a trip before, and we were doing these trips in an effort to activate the teaching. So, so But we have to start by giving students a reason to pay attention are um, in a training session as a police officer and, and you're wondering whether or not you need to do this or not, why, why you should even care, well, guess what? They'll put you on the mat and they'll choke you out in five seconds and you realize, wow, I don't want to be choked out in five seconds. So what do I have to do in order to learn how to survive a little better on the mat? And then the rest of the day, you are engaged because you know at the end of the day you're going to be tested again and you just saw that you got choked out in five seconds so you realize you have a need that you have to meet because I'm not ready. And that's the kind of thing we do with students. We need to show them how crummy they are at defending what they believe. And once they see how crummy they are, they will pay attention because they don't like the way that felt. And so we will either put them in front of a real atheist, which I've invited a number here to my, uh, to, to my youth group over the years, but then we occasionally have a, a hard time scheduling the, the atheist to come in and, and to, to just, just to, to spend time talking to our students about why Christianity is such a joke in his perspective, from his perspective. But I was an atheist until I was 35, so I just simply started role-playing when I couldn't find somebody to come in and talk to my class. And I think Brett watched me do that. Brett Kunkel watched me do that for a couple times. At uh, Before long, we're all role-playing based on our continued exposure to the non-believers we work with, and we're trying to be very careful not to, to build straw men, trying to be very careful to, to articulate their position. For me, it's pretty easy because those were my positions for 35 years, and I felt like I was a pretty thoughtful atheist, and so I simply would launch to the students, and at, and the, and at the end of an hour of role-playing, and also, you know, my family is Mormon. Uh, I have six brothers and sisters all raised Mormon, so when I take trips to Salt Lake City, for example, to, to do Mormon outreach, I'm able to role play as a Mormon for my students pretty well. So I was role playing as the first step in all of this. And the reason why we do that is because we want, like in that training session for the officer, we want to show them what it feels like to get choked out in five seconds so they'll pay attention afterwards. Yeah, and I've seen this kind of happen. Um, you know, I, I've taken that idea from you and Brett and Sean, and and uh, I had a youth pastor call me once and and said, hey, I'm starting an apologetic study. Will you come role-play an atheist? And, and I said, sure, absolutely. So I went in, and yeah, after about 30 minutes of just question and answer and really challenging them, um, they were really kind of starting to break down and really worried. 
And uh, at the very end, after I revealed that I was a Christian and kind of helped, you know, one of the students said to the youth pastor, we need to learn this stuff. And he said, yeah, why do you think we're starting this study? Um, yeah, exactly. And I can tell you that uh, it, it, it can be frustrating. Uh, and I've seen my son is really good at this. He's 27 and he's you know been doing this with us since he was about 12. So he's kind of grown up in this process, this system. So he's seen it, talked to a lot of atheist professors on our trips and a lot of atheist student groups. So now at 27, he's much closer to the age of the students we train. Mm -hmm. And he always looks young for his age anyway. So it's like he's about 23. So here's a guy who comes in, and we noticed this uh, one of our very first trips, that the older guys my age who are atheists who would go in and, and kind of come in and try to tell our students why they were wrong about Christianity, they had an impact. But the younger the, the atheist that we would bring in, who looked more and more like the student group we were leading, the more impact that atheist would have in kind of twisting uh, our students. So I use Jimmy occasionally to do to do this kind of role playing, and I bring him in, and nobody knows he's my son, and and man, you should see the impact he has. I mean, I think he can deconvert a, a room full of atheists, probably I mean, full of Christians, probably in about you know about an hour and a half. He could get them all really to have such serious doubts about what they believe that it's sad. And when when adult leaders who are in the room with you see that, they are like, wow, we need to do something. We we cannot allow our students to be this unprepared, no. especially when the, the kind of uh, challenge that Jimmy typically offers it offers is just the challenge that he experienced himself at UCLA. You know, he was there for his bachelor's degree in psychology, and and he experienced this kind of pushback, uh, as did my other son David, who was in the hard sciences. So, I think we have to. That's the first step. You have to test your students. Yeah. So after we kind of you test them and and uh, and you kind of get them thinking and realizing that man there is a need for this, uh, the second part of your training acronym is the, is the R the and you say require and that is to expect more from students that we sometimes think we can handle. Um, yeah, you gave a, you gave a story about your young girls being in the youth group with you and and you know you were teaching at a college level yet here these young girls were able to understand the material it wasn't too much for them. Right. Well, that's what I saw in Jimmy. You know, he was uh, 12 when we started this, and so he really wasn't a, a college student. I mean, a high school student. And we were uh, pitching. You know, that here's the thing: if you if you know you, if you had a heart attack, and you knew you had to drop 30 pounds or die, you will become one of the best dieters on the planet because you know I got to drop these 30. You recognize the seriousness of your physical situation, and that you need to drop the weight, and uh, you'll do it because it's that or die. And when students are are sh kind of shaken the way that these role plays typically go, I think that now they're committed to do a little more than you probably could get them to do before, because they recognize that uh, it's I don't want it to say so. So now when we say on the heels of that, okay, we're going to change the course of this. We're going to make you, we're going to equip you in such a way that you will never feel that way again. As a matter of fact, you'll be able to respond uh, vigorously, intelligently, uh, rapidly to the objections you just heard. Well, now suddenly they are willing to spend time with you, and you can raise the bar. You, because you know before, if you gave them eighth grade work, it would be like no, really. But now you can give them college level work, and they'll actually do it because they they want to to get to the level where they can defend themselves. And so you have to raise the bar. And by the way, we do this all the time as parents. I mean, it, it, I got so many parents whose kids are in the uh, in international baccalaureate program or the advanced placement, the AP program in high school, and they're doing really well, and they expect them to do well in those programs. And you know, if they're if they're athletes, they're driving them all over the country for tournaments and softball and volleyball and all of that. And we've done that too. 
So we, we have high expectations in all kinds of areas for our kids. But then when it comes to, well, Sunday school or youth group, just show up. I mean, just attendance is, we feel like that's good enough. And so a lot of these um, youth groups that are really more focused on attendance then will do the things that provide, you know, that guarantee that the highest attendance. And that usually ends up being, you know, some form of gameplay during part of the session, uh, you know, kind of throw it in a way that's, you know, at an eighth grade level. It turns out we need to raise that bar. We need to require so much more. I, I, I ever listened to Timothy Keller, Keller uh, pastor in New York State, who is uh, just an amazing pastor apologist. His sermons on Sunday, he raises the bar. He's growing a large church by raising the bar. And so I know that we could actually take a different approach with our students and raise the bar and require more. And so that's the second step is to, 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 to start to require as much of our students in youth group as we typically do in their high school experience. Yeah. No, and I, and I, and I again, see this one played out a lot. I have a lot of people when I tell them that I teach theology and apologetics to high school students, they are sometimes taken back. Like, you teach that to high schoolers? Right. But what I see is, you know, is, you know, again, Summit Ministries, you know, they have a session here in California, seven in Colorado, two in Tennessee. You know, so there's, you know, they got 10 sessions all over the country with hundreds of students at every single one. That's right. They're there to get this information. Students want it. Yeah, they do. Exactly. And they, and they, by the way, they come back several times. I, my, my daughter went twice. Yeah. Um, and so I can tell you that they, they want to go back. And because yeah. and someone does a great job of integrating yeah. head knowledge with heart knowledge and with relationships. And so uh, Summit's not just a place where you're going to go and sit and drive sterile lectures. It's a place where we're going to kind of help you to live out your Christian worldview in a multifaceted way. And so, you know, I've been teaching there now staff for the last three, I think almost four years now. And, uh, and it's been just, I, I knew when I was a youth pastor, I wanted to eventually get out there because I, I saw the impact it was having. The people, the students who go to Summit are changed and they want to go back. You don't have to talk them into going back. They want to go back. Yep. And they want to read the books that you're buying. And man, talking with the students this week, they, they are loving it. And it's like, you know, we sometimes don't expect high schoolers to sit through 70 hours of lectures in two weeks and love it. Um, yeah, no They kidding. love it. And that demonstrates that, that this is not only uh, possible, that this is, is reasonable for us to do and that uh, students will respond. So. Absolutely. All right. And so, you know, so we start out with the test. We require more of them. Your, your next thing in train is the A, and, and you say it's arm, and that's to provide students with the truth and teach them how to articulate it. Yeah. Right. With this idea, you bring up the difference between, and you say that we must inoculate students rather than isolate them. Yeah, and you know, whenever I do a case, I'm not only we, you know, we release discovery to the defense team. So we tell the defense team that this is the case we have, and these are the witnesses we're going to bring against your client. And that's fair because you know you have the right to know who your accusers are. And then they release to us discovery about what they're going to do in response. Now, that's really important because in the end, uh, I know pretty much what the defense is going to say. Uh, even before they say it to the jury, and they know everything that we're going to say before we say it to the jury. And so I want my students to have the same kind of experience where they get uh, a full, they understand what our position is, and so we're going to train. But we have to start by showing them what the other position is. So they're going to know both sides of the argument equally well, and, and that's what you have to do. You have to arm them. Uh, don't be afraid of what the other side's saying. Uh, try to be very fair. I see this a lot in in, uh, uh, in Christian circles where they'll sometimes people will sometimes straw man of the atheist position and then knock that down pretty quickly. And atheists do that also. But we want to be careful to 
books this is coming what book this is coming from and so in the end we do want um, our our students to uh, be to be really uh, well prepared well equipped with both sides so that means you're going to have to read some atheist books and we're going to, have to assign some atheist reading either excerpts from books or websites and if you feel like, well, I'm afraid to let my students read that stuff because they might deconvert, well, then you have to be very involved, engaged, and I'm very careful to present our case, sometimes before I'll present the other case, so they can see the error in the thinking before they actually encounter it. But the last thing I always say I want is for one of my students in my youth group to hear for the first time the robust, uh, rhetorically powerful atheist objection from an atheist professor in college, I want them to hear that from me before yeah. they ever get to college. So by the time they get there, it's old news. Absolutely, yeah, that's great. Just you know, so yeah, it's, it's not surprising them, it's not shocking them, right? And and we do it when we're around them. That's right. Yeah. So after kind of arming them and kind of a, a, you know, we, we require much. We we teach them, we train them in you know Christianity, then give them kind of the other side, let them think through these things, and help them out. Uh, you then say uh, the I in train is involved, and, dis and you say to deploy students into the battlefield of ideas. And here's what you mentioned earlier in the discussion, in the conversation. Um, you say it, it comes down to the calendar. You say, when leaders and pastors ask me how they can change the nature of their churches and youth groups, I tell them it comes down to the calendar. What does the calendar have to do with training students? Yeah, this is the one thing we talked about earlier that separates teaching from training, right? It's involvement. It's engaging students, deploying them. You know, I always say if, if you if you never intend to leave the police department, if you could handle every call over the phone, well, then nobody would ever train physically. No one would ever train as a driver. No one would ever train with their gun. Nobody would ever train about anything because I can handle every call over the, over the phone. Mm -hmm. So if you have no intention of leaving the building, then there's no point in training. That the, 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 the parallel here is that the church often really has no intention of leaving the building. And youth groups, if they leave the building, they don't often leave the building for, for the kind of evangelistic kind of case-making opportunities that we're going to design for them. So what we decided to do is to give to, to basically schedule the battle, schedule the fight that the, the fighter trains for. You know, and fighters get fat in between fights. They, they just do. Uh, you know, in the old days, Muhammad Ali would gain 25 pounds in between fights, and then he'd lose it once he signed the next contract because he knew that I got eight weeks to get in shape because I don't want to go in that ring uh, heavy and out of shape. I got it. And all boxers and MMA fighters do this. They train most vigorously up to the point of the next fight. But if they have no calendared fight, they're not going to train. So if, if you want to know what how your church body, your group is doing, I can usually tell you how your group is doing by, number one, looking at how are you spending your money, and then what does your calendar look like? That That alone is the giveaway. Yeah. Show me your calendar, show me your expenses, and I'll tell you what kind of church you are, what kind of group you are. And so we decided we needed to take those um, kind of fun uh, – I'm in Southern California, so everything here is a board sport. So, you know, in summer, it's surf camps. In winter, it's wakeboard, it's uh, snowboarding. Uh, sometimes you go wakeboarding in the summer. It's, if you've got a board, that's what we would do. And, um, and, and I inherited that, and I said, okay, that's great, but this – all I'm doing is preparing a great generation of, of board sport athletes. You know, that's not what I'm here to do. So I canceled all those, and I started taking them on missions trips. And these missions trips were designed as apologetics trips. You want to teach theology? We take our students to Salt Lake City because there's the most sophisticated Christian heresy on the planet, all the same words, none of which have the same definitions, 
Uh, they've all been perverted and contorted and changed, and they are ready to talk to you because they think that you're the lost people group that needs to be reached with the gospel. So uh, you never have a problem getting involved in conversations, and we take them there. We schedule a week in Salt Lake City and in Manti, which has got a beautiful festival there, and also in Provo, which is where BYU is. And we put our students through a number of really difficult street evangelism, door-to-door evangelism, uh, university evangelism systems, uh, opportunities. And that, you know, those are, number one, it's great because every night we come back, they're constantly studying and panicked because they had a bad day and somebody was able to twist them and they couldn't answer half the, you know, half the, they couldn't even make the case they wanted to make. And so they realize they need to learn more and they'll come back and study that night. And then we do the same thing once a year uh, for atheism by taking our students to a relatively hostile uh, university setting here in California, UC Berkeley, but every state has got something that, you know, some, if you're in Wisconsin, that's Madison, you know, you go to the university that is the most, um, atheistic leaning, uh, hostile to Christianity, and you spend a week there talking to, uh, atheist professors, if you can get them, atheist student groups like the secular and you get involved in dialogues with those and you go on the, on the campus and you do street evangelism. These are the calendar challenges that give us good reason to train for eight weeks prior. So think about that. If you took two trips a year, and I did that, I'd go to Berkeley in the, in the fall and, uh, and Salt Lake City in the summer. And so that would give you 16 weeks in which you've got to train for two additional weeks in which you're going to be in the field. So you now have calendared 18 weeks of uh, activity, which is designed to grow your students. And that's what the difference is, and that's why you have to involve them. You have to calendar the battle. Yeah. And you've seen a big just impact in students' lives in the years that you've been doing this? Gosh, oh my gosh, it's crazy. As a matter of fact, I remember one time, years later, I had a student who had been on so many of these trips with me, and she was getting married, and so she wanted me to perform the ceremony, so I did. And I think we were either at the ceremony afterwards, and she said to me, do you think we're ever going to go like on another like beach kind of camp? Because she was a college-age student at that time, but she was helping with our youth group. And I and I said, well, I, I could, I could, if we're going to do that, if we're going to take another, you know, like a wakeboarding trip or a snowboarding or surfing kind of a camp, we're going to have to cancel one of our either Utah or Berkeley trips. And she says, oh, we're going to forget it. <laughs> because that was, if she had to make a choice between these two kinds of events, she would never choose the, the, the kind of recreational event over these uh, you know, either theological or philosophical trips, which she just valued so much more. So that kind of demonstrated to me once again that, that, that students have transformational experiences in these kinds of events that they just don't have in the typical, let's play all day and have a, a devotional in the morning and a devotional at night and then or do that for a week and we come back. But that doesn't have the same kind of impact on students that this kind of training and saturation in the opposite worldview has. Well, that's, that's amazing that that's what they want, you know, when they, when they're yeah, in that right. option. Yeah. Well, I think that that kind of leads into your last point in training because when you do involve the students, you mentioned, you know, you know, Muhammad Ali, you mentioned these fighters and when you get into the you know, the involvement, and you're actually faced with the challenge, you can get beat up. And, yeah. and, and that, you know, the, those things do happen. And so the last thing in your train model is nurture, uh, where you talk about tending to students' wounds and modeling the nature of Jesus. How do you go about naturing, and what does that look like? 
Uh, well, you know that in every winner of any fight that you've ever watched, any professional fight, when they come out and they're the winner, they are beat up. I mean, they, you know, the winner doesn't look a lot different than facially than the loser sometimes. And, and so you know that in order to be successful and to do something to a certain high level of success, you are going to take a beating sometimes. And so what we have to do, and I always kind of analogize it to, you know, a cut man in the corner. They're, you know, like Stitch Duran, for example, who's been working in corners of MMA fights and, and boxing fights for years. And his job is basically to stop the blue so that that fighter can get back up and get back in the fight. And there's a part of that, as kind of grotesque as that might sound, there's a part of that that's important for us as, as youth leaders. We have to know enough to be able to help our students at that point at which they're going to struggle because they are going to struggle. There will be a point at which every student is like, ah, man, I, I just felt like I'm, I got shaken today. And and we have to be have a relationship that is built deep, deep enough to be able to do that. We have to have a heart um, uh, to, for our students. We, we have to make sure that we're careful when we train in apologetics. You know, we can be quite arrogant and we can be a bit boastful if you think you know something. And a lot of people who have a bad connotation or bad th thought about apologetics is because they they kind of see that as, well, I don't want to argue with people. I'm not an argumentative person. Well, that's not what we want to do either. We're trying to, to, to model uh, a kind of gracious, calm, loving demeanor that we think is as Christ-appropriate as ambassadors for Christ as we can be. And then when one of our students gets hurt, we want to be able to come alongside them, not just to kind of, well, here's the right answer to give, and you can, you can do better. No, we want to actually walk with our students in a mentor relationship. So this is, you know, you cannot, it's not an either or. You, you can't say, well, my ministry is going to be based on this teaching platform in which I'm training students. Your ministry, like all of ours, is probably going to be based on the same kinds of relational skills, the love of Christ you've always involved, you've always been engaged with as a youth pastor. The only difference is now you're going to have a more robust, multifaceted ministry where you're going to worship God with your heart, with your songs, with your hands and feet, and with your mind. And so we have to be able to help our students in those times of crisis. And that means that if there's somebody in that room who needs to be the best trained person in that room, it probably needs to be you as the leader. You have to be pretty far ahead of your students so that anything that they encounter from the most persuasive person they might meet tomorrow on the streets of Utah or Berkeley, you have an appropriate response that will come and, and go the next. So we have to really master the material before we go. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I've seen some of the students uh, here at Summit this week, and some of the questions that they ask um, have blown me away, and just yeah. in depth, and how much these students really are thinking, and you know, and just kind of curious, you know, how many people are able to respond to these and really help students think through clear, reasonable explanations for some of the things that they've either been challenged with at school, or they they know they're going to be challenged with on the university campus, or or just things that they're just wondering themselves. Yeah, you know, we do, uh, in Summit, all of us come in as teachers, and we spend, you know, maybe three or four hours during the class day, and then we have lunch together, and there's usually an afternoon activity for students, but then that night at 6 o'clock, uh, at Biola, it's called Open Forum, and in, in, in Colorado, it's called a porch chat, where we all go on that huge front porch of the uh, old hotel there in, in uh, Colorado, in Manitou Springs, and we sit there, and we just give the students an hour to ask any question they can think of. Now, now I can tell you that um, 
you have to do the teaching side of it. You have to spend time teaching students because that's where they're going to form their questions and, and you have to kind of provide them with the foundation from which they could ask good questions. But the best time you have with students is in the Q&A and that's totally unscripted and you just have to be somebody who knows enough about the topic you're, you're teaching on or about any question they might ask. And, and this is tough, right? I mean, but, I mean, wouldn't you want to be that kind of person as a parent so if you've got a high schooler don't don't you you'd hope of course that your youth pastor or whoever it is you're, you're who's, who's kind of discipling your students but in the end and isn't that us isn't that kind of our responsibility now it's not like my students my own kids i have four have spent a lot of time asking me tough theological questions i think sometimes they've kind of heard all the answers and questions from students in our ministry and maybe that's why it doesn't happen but i do want this to be the case i want them to know that if they have that kind of a question, that I, I they can approach me and I can give them an answer. Wow. And it may not be the most satisfying answer, but I won't be, or, or I may just be one of those things where I say, that's a really good question. I haven't even thought about that deeply. Give me a couple of days and I'll do that research and get back to it. We always talk about how, the, how it's important to just say, I don't know when I don't know. Well, I can tell you when you're on the stand, and I've known a lot of guys who struggled with this. They didn't want to be seen as the officer who was saying, I don't really know. But you know what? That's always the best thing to say when you're on the stand and you're being uh, interrogated or, or uh, uh, cross-examined by the defense team. Uh, there are some things they're going to ask, and you know what? And I will just say to them, I'm not sure about that. If you give me my report, I can read it again and see if it's in there. I just don't remember. I mean, I, it may or may not have happened that way. Let me just look at my report to refresh my memory. So the best thing you can do sometimes as a parent is just to say, I'm not sure right now, but give me a chance to look, and I'll, I'll get back to you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, just kind of to run through this, um, you know, we first, you know, just start out with the test, help students see their weaknesses, because then they really have that desire uh, to want to learn more. Expect more of them. Give them the truth. Teach them how to articulate it. Involve them. Don't just make them sit on the on the sidelines, and then be there to answer questions and respond to them when they kind of get beat up. And I think, just like you said, being a parent, I think that's a great example of, you know, you don't just stick your kid in the room and hope that they grow up to be an awesome person. You know, you got to let them out, but then, you know, be ready to talk to them when they come home with problems. That's right. That's so, right. Jim, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Ryan. I'm looking forward to seeing your work uh, and your ministry grow. So if you're listening to this podcast, just be sure that to uh, get back over to Ryan's website and uh, you click it and read it and then get to consume this stuff. And we uh, then also maybe it'll inspire you. Uh, to do what Ryan's doing too. So all of us who are interested and in, we spend some season you know, kind of consuming the content at some point, it's our job to turn around and provide it for others. So thanks for having me. And hey, I want to encourage everyone too to make sure you check out coldcasechristianity.com. Jim has wrote, written some amazing books and and you, those are great resources to have. And are you doing any Fearless Faith seminars coming up? Or Yes, we have I think one uh, in Northridge, California coming up next. I think it's in September. So our calendar, I post a calendar at the Cold Case Christianity website, also at the crossexamine.org site. So this is really three of us from Summit who decided, hey, what would it be like if we could do a, a mini summit, you know, if you could do, uh, kind of hit the high, high points of, of what we do at Summit over the course of, say, seven hours. Uh, it's impossible, you know, that's just crazy if you think about it. But, but what would that look like? And we created these fearless faith 
conferences. So it's me and Frank Turek and uh, Mike Adams from All From Summit who go out and do seven hours at a time. So, yes, we have one coming up in, at Northridge in September. And uh, we, we try to do about maybe six or seven a year. And I post all of them uh, always on my on my calendar so that you can uh, kind of make sure that when, when they're coming up where they are. But we're all over the country. And if you've got a church that's interested in doing uh, this kind of thing and exposing their kids, uh, then now is the time to um, to get up, to get to crossexamine.org and schedule one. Love to come. Awesome. Yeah, check out Crossexamine, Cold Case Christianity, and the calendar and everything that Jim's doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, man. Looking forward to talking to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Coffeehouse Questions podcast with Jay Warner Wallace. If you missed it, I had Sean McDowell on last week talking about why we need to train students in apologetics. And next week, I will have Dan Britton, a Ratio Christi College Prep Director and Biola graduate, uh, speaking about how to get apologetics involved in the local church. So be sure to check out last week. Look forward to next week. It's been awesome talking with you guys. Thank you, Jay Warner Wallace. This has been Ryan Polly with Coffee House Questions. Won't hesitate to follow Your love will guide my way